I was first alerted to it when a girl came to the door and said she thought I could help her. She said that as she got out of her car outside the house, little blue flames were licking up her arms and she had to brush them off. I thought, we've got a right nutter here. But she showed me a bird underneath her metal watch and I did a radionic analysis on her and it showed that something very, very bizarre had occurred. Hi, welcome to Adventures in Dozing, podcast number 10. I'm Graham Gardner. Doris Frankish is a retired journalist from Tyneside, who's also a well-known radionics practitioner and dowser healer. Uh, If you haven't heard of radionics, it's a form of distance energy healing that uses dowsing techniques and focus intent, and uh, often involves using lots of charts, tables and other instrumentation to aid the practitioner. It's sometimes called uh, vibrational medicine these days. Doris gave a fascinating talk to the Earth Energies Group at their spring meeting in 2008. Uh, the subject of the talk was supposed to be colour dowsing and energy lines, but that topic proved a little too limiting for Doris, and she soon had us all hooked on tales from her casebook, a fascinating litany of murders, fires, suicides, disasters, and spontaneous human combustion that she's investigated over the years. Before we get into Doris's talk, here's some news. Well, the big news this month is that the BSD has moved. We're uh, no longer located in Malvern. We have moved to the village of Hanley Swan, which is just a couple of miles outside. It's a much more practical office space for us, with plenty of free parking and level access. And uh, most importantly, in this recessionary climate, it's cheaper. Uh, Other news on the website, the Register of Professional Dowsers is now online on the the webpage, so you can search uh, for a suitable dowser yourself, but of course if you're not sure which sort of dowser you need, you can still contact the office for advice. Our uh, annual conference uh, bookings are going well for that, and that's the 25th to 27th of September at the Royal Agricultural College in Cirencester. And we're actually nearly full on that, so if you're still thinking about going but haven't booked a space, then you'd better get your finger out. Uh, Let's have a look at some training courses now. We have uh, coming up uh, 16th of August, there is a one-day introduction to dowsing course run by Vicky Sweetlove, and that's going to be in London. That's a BSD-approved course, and uh, BSD-organised training courses. We have on the Saturday the 5th and Sunday the 6th of September, there's an advanced Earth Energies dowsing workshop, working with power centres and applying geomantic design, led by Dr. Patrick McManaway, and that's going to be held at Long Compton Village Hall, which is near the Rollwright Stones. On the 12th and 13th of September, we have an Earth Energies Foundation course, which is Earth Energies and the Spirit of Place. Uh, That's still to be confirmed as to where that is and who's teaching it, but uh, details will be on the website as soon as we've got it sorted out. And also on that weekend, the 12th and 13th of September, there is an Introduction to Dowsing for Health workshop uh, led by Richard West. Uh, The venue for that is still to be announced, but that will be posted uh, on the website pretty soon. And now let's go straight into Doris's talk. Uh, There's a small handout that she prepared for the meeting, and I've put a PDF of that on the podcast homepage if you want to download it. Here's Doris. 
Well, first of all, I must apologize for not being a proper dowser. Um, when I started dowsing many years ago, as a result of going to evening classes, I went out with my rods and pendulums were the best of them. Then I did the three-year course on radionics and became a radionic practitioner, treating physical problems from a distance, and then eventually I did everything from a distance. So my philosophy is uh, you have to be very stupid to do this. Anybody else would know it's absolutely impossible. So there was a fine romantic tale attached to my introduction to colour dowsing. About 80 of us, all members of the Fountains Group, um, to be stationed on a mount called the Hill of the Saracens in Andorra. There was a similar number on St. Michael's Mount in Cornwall, a major energy line coming from somewhere in Asia. Uh, from goodness knows where, stopped on this hill and the aim was to join it up with the British system at midday on Good Friday and let the energy feed through. Uh, there was also an aim to fulfil a prophecy which had been made in invisible writing on the plain where the last of the Cathars were burned at the stake in the 14th century. That was uh, Montsegur. Fragments of, of, of this still survived in a car park in Andorra in invisible writing. You could douse out and find that it was the same as the original one at months ago. So a couple of us arrived before the main party and I met Hamish Miller who was also kicking his heels before the start of the uh, main business and it was he who told me about the significance of colour in energy lines. He told me you could identify harmful or beneficial qualities of energy lines by colour using a magic disc. He taught me how to mentalise the line to purple, the colour of sanctity, and add a gold line as a sort of keeper. These lines never change, and you never have the problems resulting from lines slowly moving or animals scratching the book or your iron rods, devices or whatever just failing. So I now look at the addresses of new patients before I start treating them to see what detrimental effects have resulted from their environment. I'm told there are nearly 4,000 shades of colour in our visible spectrum, but just dealing with the primary colours is good enough for pit work, as we say on Tyneside. Red is the colour which causes cancer and other inflammatory illnesses, and you can gauge its harmful effects on a scale of 1 to 100, and on any homemade chart which you can make of yourself. When the reading gets up to about 60, you can expect a physical reaction, and as it creeps towards 100, as it may well do, and the line is going critical, death or some other total disaster is a likely result. Um, heart attacks and other sudden physical catastrophes are likely. Um, you can, on site, you can douse the patient's bed and the line will go exactly through the spot of the malignancy. This isn't 100% nowadays because there's so many other um, problems with the you know, electromagnetic stress and uh, well, pollution and things. 
Research into this field dates back to the early 1930s when a German scientist, Gustav Freiherr von Pohl, one of Germany's most talented dowsers, first made a discovery that there was, no, there was an interrelationship between Earth's radiation and disease in plants, animal and man. He believed that from the core of the Earth, thermal radiation rises up, which though generally beneficial, is turned into harmful radiation whenever it encounters an obstacle such as a mineral or oil deposit, gravel, voids, geological faults and subterranean water veins. In 1929, he drew a map of a village in southern Germany called Wilsbeberg and its water veins, and it was found that all the 54 people who had died of cancer since 1918 had their beds, without exception, on lines of a certain strength. In Stettin, a Dr. Hager, president of the Scientific Association of Doctors, went about it the other way round. He got a list of all the addresses of 5,348 cancer cases that had been recorded since 1910 and doused all the properties. He found that every single case had been exposed to strong earth radiation over a number of years. There were five houses in which 190 people had died in the span of 21 years. I couldn't believe this figure, I thought. No, it's a misprint. It's either 19 or 90. It just can't be 190. But I went into it and yes, it was 190. So, uh, you know, I don't know how the house is sold. Uh, in, the, in the late 1970s, an Austrian maths teacher called Kathy Batchelor linked cases of poor learning ability to environmental influences and 3,000 flats in 14 different countries were doused and 11,000 people were interviewed. The statistics proved that 95% of the children who had learning difficulties were exposed to earth radiation during their sleeping hours. I'm not awfully sure that I believe that. I mean, a lot of it seems to be hereditary, but never mind. Now 10% of doctors in Austria now call in dowsers to their most severe cases. In view of the statistics, it seems criminal that our own doctors still view dowsing with disdain and continue to burn, cut and poison their patients without the thoughts to the actual causes. At the indigo end of the spectrum, we can expect problems of underactivity and complaints such as arthritis, rheumatism, depression, sometimes even multiple sclerosis. Um, indigo lines particularly seem to affect the kidneys. Black lines can cause just about anything and are mainly associated with polluted underground streams. One of the most striking cases of this was on the volcanic island of Tenerife. I was asked to have a go at a mountain village where there was an unbelievable number of cancer cases and drove there, dousing rods at the ready. 
A youth who he asked for directions had a frightened expression and trust himself, which was a bit off-putting. It didn't fill me with confidence yet. Above the village there was a blind stream, or maybe it should have been called a blind river because it was five or six yards across, and it was gushing upwards through some ancient volcanic vent before running downhill under the surface. By the time it had reached the main street of the village, it had divided into about half a dozen rivulets, and as it continued to split and fan across the, sea, the hillside, it ran under many of the scattered houses there. I mean, if you looked at the terrain, you couldn't believe that um, there were so many cancer cases over such a wide area, you know, and it was puzzling to, to, to see it. But treating the water its source, that was at the top of the hill, it was very satisfying to find that every little rivulet had changed as well. It was the first time I'd found that and I thought, like it, that's great. Nothing could be done for the many anonymous cancer sufferers, but hopefully this helped and the, uh, the treatment they got would be useful rather than, you know, them having to run up a down escalator all the time. So, a picture of a little fat Doris with a dousing rod was featured in the local paper. <laughs> Another job I was asked to do there wasn't as successful. A housing complex, which was a warren of little bungalows, was losing its precious water supply and no one could find the leak. And of course, water in Tenerife is very much at a premium. I wandered around with the rods going like a windmill and though there was obviously some leakage from the main tank up a hill, I felt it was a job for a proper water person. And the plan of the complex was faxed to a well-known professional dowser in Britain. He returned the map with 30-odd little leakages spread around the complex, as well as the one from the main tank. Um, but water in Tenerife is very corrosive and the, the plumbing is very Mickey Mouse. So, you know, you get blocks of flats where uh, there'll be a leak in the top flat and it'll go down the entire complex. Occasionally you encounter a yellow line which may be caused by some sort of mineral deposit and these are mildly beneficial, about 30 out of 100. Occasionally they are natural green lines which are a physically balancing sort of line. I just came across one or two in Ireland, the so-called Emerald Isle, and many in Egypt, land of the pyramids. Even a little pyramid shape will produce green lines from its corners. So you can imagine the green lines at Giza which stretch for great distances and sometimes cross each other. Um, a third of the way up inside a pyramid, there's negative green energy line, uh, negative green energy, which can be very harmful to the human body, but has very good preservative or embalming qualities. Um, the checks demonstrate pyramids which keep food fresh for a prolonged period. The ancient Egyptians obviously were great dowsers, and the Cairo Museum displays many lapis lazuli pendulums. 
Some of the ancient sites show a great deal of manipulation by dowsers, sometimes in rooms where the pictures and hieroglyphics have been deliberately de defaced, an energy line will stop at the door and resume later. And the portals, which in Egypt were decorative imitation doors through which the spirits were said to pass, uh, they marked energy lines and so did the winged emblems over some of the doorways. The old ways obviously survive. The two temples which were rescued before the dam was built, they were wonderfully reconstructed nearby, but they've been artificially endowed with dowsable energy. Um, his with gold, which does not exist in nature, and hers with pink, which gives a lovely feeling if you're at all uh, sensitive. Now, if patients have trouble selling a house, I put pink into it, and it seems to work like magic. So if, you, if you're having trouble selling property, pink it is. Um, the Egyptians also laid anks, those little dot catcher loop things, into energy lines in a particular way, and the line disappears between them. But I'm told that if you lay them in a different way, it intensifies the line, and it's a very foolproof way of surreptitiously bumping somebody off. So don't try this at home, folks. <laughs> Which brings me to another aspect of energy lines, the catastrophe theory. Not to be confused with a more recognized scientific theory of the same name. Many years ago, faults developed simultaneously in the machinery of two Scottish stone quarries, which were 40 miles apart. Components painted red showed peculiar changes in the molecular structure akin to metal fatigue. The owner of the quarries, who was a dowser of inquiring mind, investigated this curiosity. Eventually, he developed a mind-blowing science he called georeonogy and tried to get the powers that be interested. Andrew Davy of Alloa was a brilliantly clever, very well-qualified man, but he had a very bad speech impediment and also a touch of the Walter Mitties, which was very endearing. So many people didn't take him seriously at all. He did a short course in georeology at Stirling University for radionic practitioners and I was hooked. So because I was a journalist with free access to police courts, murder, fire locations and the like, it made the course absolutely tailor-made for me. It was lovely. And then I found that all the unbelievable things that he taught us were true. Um, he found that there was a very precise mathematical way of calculating where there would be not only machine failure, but earthquakes, spontaneous combustion, murder, suicide, sudden deaths, alcoholism, and even concrete failures. The principles behind the causes were rocket science, but anybody with a bit of intelligence could make forecasts with Andy's charts, or at least verify the phenomena with the information available after the event. The more he researched, the more it was realized that this cosmic secret had been known from before history began. 
Plato told how his uncle Solon had been taught a kind of radionics by the priests of Heliopolis in Egypt who told him that the science was at least 10,000 years old then. There were clues in ancient writings as far apart as Egypt, Peru and Korea and in worldwide units of measure which were related to what he called the time-distance ratio. Unfortunately, two Frenchmen brought in the metric system and realized there was something wrong with it, but they were um, executed in the French Revolution before they could put it right. So a lumbered with a metric system which doesn't tie in with Earth energies at all. Uh, the catastrophe secret, oversimplified for the Laban, is this. Iron-bearing rock, sensitized by solar flares, causes electromagnetic disturbances which can be intense in fault lines. When the moon changes phase at the same angle as the line, there's a sudden switch in polarity, uh, which causes a backflash of energy. Anything can happen on equidistant node points on the line. And incidents tend to be cyclic in nature. The process can cause molecular disturbances in every organic and inorganic substance, including the DNA of the human body. Colour is an important part of the action, with materials on the red end of the colour spectrum being the source of the fire. Anything that's sort of reddish, brownish, orangey, anything with red in it at all. A study of many cases of spontaneous combustion has shown that any fibrous substance can ignite depending on a set of conditions. The first condition which seems to apply in every case is that the material at high risk is porous and contaminated by anomalous water. That is, water with a different molecular structure to the normal H2O. This water cannot be frozen at low temperature and doesn't obey the same rules as normal water at all. The phenomena will only take place at certain times which can be predetermined mathematically, either predictably or retrospectively. The third condition relates to a colour harmony associated with the time scale and the colour spectra of the solar wind. The fourth condition can be determined by plotting a series of other phenomena of various forms on scale maps and examining the geometric patterns that they produce and a, loca a bad location can be determined. When spontaneous combustion does occur, carbon taken from the site will indicate field forces surrounding the sample um, and from the position of these forces the angle can be referred to the formula tables to indicate the moment when the phenomena occurs and when it would be liable to take place again. Hay, straw and paper are probably the most susceptible to the effects of spontaneous combustion, but wood, wool and other fibrous materials are also liable. Humans, animals and other types of organic and inorganic materials are known to be at high risk. Immediately after the course, I had the chance to try out all these new ideas.
There'd been a murder in the West End of Newcastle. A 20 stone woman had been bludgeoned to death by a partner in a roundabout who was going for the fish and chips. That just sounds like Newcastle. And she, she was dragged into a garden shed. Visiting the site with a photographer, uh, I found there was a crossing of energy lines in the house. And according to Andy's moon tables, one of them had just gone critical. So I got myself in the magistrate's court to see if the accused fitted the colour scheme of things. I mean, in the fortnight of a, of a moon, it's varied from um, sort of lily white albino to, to dark, dark coloured, etc. So, uh, according to Andy's theory, he should have had light sandish hair and greenish eyes. So I was all agog when he climbed into the dock, but he was black. So we're back to the drawing board. So in many official reports, the cigarette plays an important role in causing many fires, particularly as it is itself destroyed and leaves no evidence. But if you try to start a fire with a cigarette, unless you maybe throw it in a waste paper basket or something, uh, it rarely results in the surrounding uh, materials catching fire. So the next in incident that week, when I covered a fire, a bewildered elderly couple said that the fire officers told them it had obviously been started by a cigarette in a settee. And they were adamant that no cigarette had been anywhere near the settee. So I had a quick surreptitious douse among the burnt out furniture and immediately found a red energy line. So what colour was the settee, I asked? Red, wine, rust? And they said, well, it was a sort of a claret colour, all completely burnt out. But before spontaneous fires, ringing sounds have sometimes been heard. Some have been mathematically forecast and witnesses have seen the line glowing red and bursting into the flames which are quite powerless to put out. Spontaneous human combustion, which is much commoner than one might imagine, follows the same process, bodies being found charred beyond recognition by unbelievable temperatures with the surrounding materials often being totally unaffected. The victims have looked as if they'd been microwaved, uh, the fire coming from within them, well, you know, red blood, charred to ashes, sometimes with parts surviving absolutely intact. They've literally been shoveled into their coffins. One clue is that spontaneous fires may occur in spots which are multiples of scotch feet apart. There have been television programs about human spontaneous combustion in which it was suggested that the victims burn slowly in their own fat like a candle. It was never explained why they didn't move from the spot when they first caught fire. <laughs> and body fat certainly does not burn at the high temperatures needed to reduce bones to powder. Victims have been seen to burst into flames and the incendiary process has just taken a matter of minutes. So would you sit in a chair while you slowly burn like a candle? There was a horrifying, dramatic description of a woman bursting into flames in Edmonton in London. The relatives of 62-year-old Janie Safford saw her in the kitchen, flames coming out of her mouth and her midriff. 
She was roaring like a lion, or the sound roars, said a witness. So the, the kitchen wasn't damaged, but her cardigan melted, and uh, needless to say, she was dead. We had our own spontaneous human combustion cases in my hometown, Whitley Bay, on the northeast coast, so it was easy to investigate the spot. It's actually the worst line in Britain, which is, you know, it's, it's nice to have some claim to fame. Um, there were at least 11 human combustion cases on the line, which, uh, and many more mysterious incidents. The line comes up from Calais, I don't know where it goes further south than that, goes through Hull, which seems to be a very bad spot, and skims up our part of the coast, then through to Nairn in Scotland, where there was a, a spontaneous human combustion case. I was first alerted to it when a girl came to the door and said she thought I could help her. She said that as she got out of her car outside the house, little blue flames were licking up her arms and she had to brush them off. I thought we've got a right nutter here. But she showed me a bird underneath her metal watch and I did a radionic analysis on her and it showed that something very, very bizarre had occurred. And then I realised that she lived very close to where there'd been a classical spontaneous human combustion case many years before. So, sudden spark of interest. The first local recorded fatality was 77-year-old Barbara Bell in 1905 in Blythe, which is just north of Whitley Bay. She was found, quote, fearfully charred, still sitting in her chair. She faced the fire in the room, but had been burned from the back. In 1908, three years later, there were two spontaneous human combustions within the fortnight of one moon. One was a German in his 50s, Charles School, who was in lodgings close to the Barbara Bell house, and the other was our Whitley Bay well-known case. Two Spencer retired teachers, Margaret and Wilhelmina Dewar, lived in Delaval Road near the sea. One day Margaret returned home to find her sister burned to a cinder on the bed, the bedding virtually untouched. The coroner, who was a typical pig-headed Geordie male, decided that this was quite impossible. Um, he persecuted Margaret until she was made to confess that Wilhelmina had been burned downstairs uh, opposite the empty grate and she had carried her up to the bed though how she could have done that considering the powdered state of the remains seems a bit ridiculous the line also goes through a shop on the corner of the Esplanade which is once a sweet shop owned by Dolly Henderson one of two well-known sisters who had been very attractive in their day one new year, Dolly was found dead on the floor of the totally wrecked shop, her head apparently bashed in by a milk bottle. It was presumed that she had been murdered, but the coroner ruled that she seemed to have died in some sort of frenzy. Work that one out. One more recent incident on the line, just before it moved into Colourcoats Bay, was what became known as the Little Winnie Murder. A youth who lived at the end of Simpson Street, uh, 
Nelly into the sea, uh, who nowadays might be described as a slow learner, used to do Winnie Gibson's messages. She lived a couple of doors down. One day, her head was smashed in with a tin of peas which had been brought for her, and her walking stick was forced down her throat. On this occasion, it was entirely green, which was a bit of a puzzle. Um, but I thought, well, maybe the pot was of an inflammatory colour. Um, my moon tables have now run out and my valued friend Mr. Davy died last year so I can't estimate the next disaster and my interests now lie in very different directions but this bad line is still purple and gold after changing it years and years ago but sometimes I wonder if another blast of cosmic energy might reactivate it I, I don't know another line for which I did my Hetty Wainwright bit was already in the news. In a pretty little cul-de-sac in Ridley Bay, a youth called Sarton, who used to like to call himself Satan, uh, went to mock with a gun one Sunday and killed one churchgoer and injured others. As the world's worst journalist, I was putting on the sixth green and wondering what all the gunfire was and why the police were buzzing around. There was a spider's web of lines in the area. One of his neighbours was one of our subeditors, head of a staunch, respectable Catholic family, and his wife suddenly went shoplifting. Uh, they moved from the house in much embarrassment, which is probably just as well. The line reacted again just after the millennia celebrations when an attractive Finnish girl, an athlete about to go to the Sydney Games, was murdered on her way home along a brightly lit dual carriageway. Sarah Campbell left the Shimo metro station after taking the last train home after a night with friends and was walking up the slight incline to her home. Uh, when she was seen being followed by a man, then running. Um, her neighbours heard screams, but you don't take much notice of that nowadays. The line goes through the Grey Horse public house and had gone critical just about midnight, which would be the time she passed there. Another from the Wentworth Garden site crossed the Erzen Road route at about the time she was grabbed. I was associated with another murder when the friend of a friend, a middle-aged weekly arthritic teacher, was involved in the death of the village hard man. The son had got in with a bad lot, who had beaten him up and put him into intensive care. The father, Jack Royal, was on his way to buy a takeout in the village, which was inappropriately called Sunnyside, one of the worst places on Townside, when he was confronted by the aggressor. Very difficult to say what happened, uh, but he stabbed the, uh, the um, bloke, supposedly in self-defense, with a penknife he kept for cutting sticks for the dog. Now, I mean, Jack was a very weak specimen. This was a really hefty, aggressive bloke. I can't imagine what happened. One field he must have suddenly found unusual strength. Jack was eventually acquitted, and at one stage we stood in his upstairs window discussing energy lines. 
and he pointed out disasters which had occurred in nearby streets, all obviously in a line. You know, that one died of cancer, that woman has lost three babies in a row, um, that haystack out the back caught fire. Um, I changed the lines but suggested that the house was so bad that they ought to move, but they didn't move. Some time later, days after the line went critical again at 130 degrees, he answered the doorbell as his wife Sonia put the kettle on and was shot dead through the glass by one of two or perhaps three men. It was said that they had done it as a birthday present for the girlfriend of the man he had stabbed. Jack's killer did a term in jail and has now been released and at this late stage is appealing against his conviction. I don't know what happened to the other two, Ben. Another case involved a member of my son's pop group. For a time, we went through this stage of sinister-looking lads, long-haired, tatty jeans, crunching up and down the stairs with huge amplifiers and instruments, taking great chunks out of the decorating. Um, they all grew up to be uh, respectable, professional men, apart from one, Alan Dutch. Dutchie arrived home in Levain Avenue one day when Newcastle United had lost. Big tragedy. His girlfriend dribbed him about it and he beat her to death with a coffee table, which is rather an overreaction, I would have thought. Then he got into a car and drove it full pelt into a high stone wall, killing himself instantly. So we don't really know what happened there except that it was on a bad energy line. Within a fortnight of the same moon, on the same energy line, a 16-year-old girl from a good family strangled an old woman in a derelict building in North Shields. What the motive was there, I can't imagine. Another fairly pointless crowd. There was a man who used to show for doctors around, you know, the emergency doctors, and he said at night, all the cases they went to tended to be of the same type. And he says, now that you've mentioned it, I've started plotting them on straight lines. So, um, but with Andy gone, I think the whole idea just just disappeared into nowhere. But uh, it was interesting while it lasted. As I say, I could go on giving many instances of this time-distance colour for Dobbin. But I leave you with this thought. Living in the line of fire could be the death of you. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, fine. Um, what did you do to that, that water gouging out of the top of the hill there in Tenerife? It, it didn't come out of the top of the hill. It was a, it's, it was a blind spring. It, it would trickle down under the surface. Yes, but what did you do? What did, how did you treat it? Oh, I, I changed it to purple and gold. Right. What was it? What was you remember what it was before it was hard and gold? It was black. It was black. Very black, yeah. Okay. yeah. So presumably it was sort of um, mineral impurities coming up, you know, because water coming out of um, a lot of, of deep springs is what we call virgin water, which, which douses, it douses purple, it's holy water. Um, I mean, tap water, if you're lucky, is white. 
polluted as grey, um, well, obviously a water okay. person. So this is purely through intent, that's how you do it? Yes. By prayer intent, yeah. Yeah. But Colin Bloy said, oh, Hamish got that from me, but Colin Bloy was the head of fountains, a man who I loved, and he's died as well. Um, so I never found out how, where Colin got it from, but he, was, he set up fountains which was around the fountain in Brighton. And uh, they had a lot of, when it first started, they had a lot of bother with teddy boys and, uh, you know, youths coming in on motorcycles. And he, uh, he started to change energies and you could, he could see the patterns changing and growing and extending um, until there was no trouble. And the patterns he found were the, the same patterns as he found around um, Templar centers. He, he reckoned there was um, a sort of laid out in invisible um, samplers, you know, sort of squares with one type of energy in, which was to train Templars. Thank you. Um, we have a bad area. There's, um, we have the 90 fathom dike which is a huge earth fault it's, um, it exits at um, colour coat on the coast which is very close to us and through it there's all the galleries of the Montague pit so it's a double whammy and it goes underneath the most expensive part of Gosforth and <laughs> I mean on a, on a frosty day you can see some parts are frosty and others aren't because of the you know the earth's obviously warmer underneath and the, the, the number of disasters in that area are unbelievable I was um, interested that you don't try and remove that line for years I've heard people talking about moving lines yeah, but I also read a book by somebody called Bloom and he um, does he heals the line? Yeah. Rather than, and I was very interested to hear you do that. Yeah. How do you do it? Because I have no idea. Uh -huh. He didn't say how to do it. Uh -huh. Well, I mean, the line, apart from, uh, you know, when you change it from harmful, it goes to about 30% beneficial, which is actually 30% better than if it had been normal, you know. So uh, you just take your this here and when you come to something like maybe there's a line across a bed or something you hold this with your pendulum to heal it is that how you do it? No, I don't go on site at all. I just take the address and write down, change all harmful energy lines to purple and gold. Uh -huh. And then I do any spooks which have to, have to be lurking. Yes, you, you've got to be pretty stupid to, to sort of suspend your uh, mind, you know. <laughs> which for me is quite easy. <laughs> Well, Doris, it's been uh, quite fascinating, and uh, thank you very much indeed. Well, that was an absolutely fascinating talk by Doris Frankish, I'm sure you'll agree. That's all we have time for today. 
Adventures in Dowsing comes from the British Society of Dowsers, now located just outside Malvern, England. If you're interested in learning more about dowsing and the Society's activities, or if you would like to become a member and be kept up to date with the national dowsing scene, please visit our website at britishdowsers.org. You can leave messages for us on the forum, or you can email the show directly on podcast at britishdowsers.org. Thanks to Hilary Brooks for the music, and to Ian Pegler for the new sting. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join me again for more Adventures in Dowsing.